This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the Skeptical Skeptics Podcast. I'm RJ Metzger. And I'm Rachel Metzger. And this is episode 54, I think I said. Yeah. Um, hmm? You said... Well, I meant like I said to myself as I documented it, <laughs> uh, I believe it is 54. Um, this week is a couple weeks from last week's recording, but four what? weeks before. Why, we do they ne- why do they need an update on when we're doing this? <laughs> it was uh, just post Thanksgiving. Again, why do they need an update on when we're doing Sunday this? evening? Oh, my gosh. If you will. Keep going. Um I don't know why and pretend I'm not. Anyway, here's what you'll know, because in the news. You have nothing else to say. I had a lot to say. You just kept talking (laughs) in the news. uh, And this is how you can kind of date this. The there is there was 10 days ago, roughly. There was a monolith made of aluminum, as it turns out, found in the desert of Utah, um, where I used to like hunt and like camp and stuff because we lived in Utah a while back. We didn't do it there, though. No, no, not not near the monolith. No, that's what I'm saying. Else I would have been famous anywhere near it anyway. uh, So, yeah, it's just like this weird 2001 Space Odyssey, like metal monolith sitting out in the desert that appeared to have been like installed, not just dropped. Hey, I need to know, like the definition of monolith. Monolith. I've heard the word many times, but I don't like if you asked me what it meant, I wouldn't tell you. I'm not certain I could like. Well, okay, so it's like look it up. Don't just talk mono one. So it's just like a single tower. That's like big. I'm gonna look it up and make sure you're I'm right. looking it up too. Fine, you you look it up. That way, my keyboard doesn't have to clack. Anyway, it's a monolith. It's a big like thing. Hold on, a large single upright block or stone, especially one shaped into a serving as a pillar or monument. There it is, and that's exactly what this is. So it was found in the Utah desert. People were like aliens, or you know whatever they wanted to point to. Me, it was aliens, of course, but I, I knew it was, it was a little fishy. Also, there was like an artist that did these monoliths in like, you know, regular places. So a lot of people think that he did it, but he died in like, I'm not even going to 20 something. Well, obviously (sighs) he's dead anyway. So he couldn't claim it. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you mean 20 something like 2020 or 2011? I think, but I'm not certain. Anyway, um, he's dead, so he couldn't claim it. And a lot of people thought it was just a regular piece of art. Um, But now, as of like four hours ago, uh, it's missing. What? Yeah, it disappeared. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's new for you. Uh, but there was an Instagram dude. So uh, you know somebody stole it. Well, I think somebody stole it or the artist picked it up because it was found out that it was actually illegal where, where they were put. So if they were to oh, claim it, that they would have had So charges. they like in the night just like, never mind. Came and got it, yeah. And so there was an Instagrammer. I forgot his name. I would love to credit him. I think it's like super dude, super Siberian. Okay. I don't know. Just Google it. He's on Instagram. And uh, he went out there and it turns out it is not nearly as cool as a lot of people thought. So it's like it's hollow. It's aluminum. So it's like light and it looks crappy. Like it doesn't look like something that aliens would use because it just looks like crappy. It's like there, there's like a seam and it's like held together with rivets and stuff. And it's Wait, just how sad would you be if that really was the aliens and that was the best they could do? And now they're just like, you know what? Fine. We'll take it back. You didn't appreciate it. Fine. <laughs> we brought you this gift. We're, we did the best we could. We're going to beam it up. We thought you'd like it because it's phallic in nature, which you guys are obsessed with. Um, I don't know anyway. why that needed to be added, but okay. 
Well, it's true. Humans okay. are. Okay. Anyways, continue. The Washington Monument. RJ, I don't. I don't need to go into this with you. Okay. Chevrons <laughs> please, in the military. Please, please keep going. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Please. That's true. Okay. Can we just continue? All early oh art. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So the aliens are pissed. They took it back. And by aliens, I mean, probably one artist in Utah who thought he'd be cool. And he was for like 10 days. And then he got scared and he loaded it up into a pickup and off it goes. So the monolith, not nearly as cool as I thought it was um, at first. But all of us, and according to like this BLM uh, Bureau of Land Management dude in Utah, he was like, hey, at least we had something else to talk about other than the coronavirus for 10 days. So, hey, hey. There, that's true. There's that. There is that. Um, is there any news in our life worth mentioning? Uh. Our oldest son is five now. Yeah, he had his birthday. And our youngest son, who Before was... Before this comes out, you it'll be... Cole will have had his birthday, too. Yeah, his second birthday. And he was just a baby burrito. He, yeah, he wasn't so real tiny. when we started this. We, and then we have we have episodes where we had to, like, keep cutting because he would cry because I would be holding him because he was sleeping on me. Yeah, because he was just if a I tried to do that now. Burrito. He would just be, like, grabbing this and yelling into it and yeah, he's a classic two-year-old. He, he's kind of a cave baby. Um, we love him. Anyway, so that's the update there. That's about it. Yeah, that's about it. Oh, no, we have one. No, don't. We have to talk about it. You don't have to talk about we it. We do, because a lot of the bloopers, you talk about Farty Lair. I guess that's true. So, a silent member of the podcast is no longer with us. I wouldn't call him silent. Well, he was heard in much of it. Yeah, but I cut him out, so. Um, but Lair, Larry, my 15-year-old doctioned, who was 13 when we started this, uh, who always sat with Rach... During our episode, so and stunk up the place, stunk up the place and, you know, shuffled around with his tiny little legs. Um, he passed away, so we miss him. He's we're very sad about it. But uh, yeah, I wanted to make a little tribute to him because he was a part of the podcast for sure. He was definitely like, you know, kind of a pain, like, to be honest, yeah, but he definitely made it harder. <laughs> but, you know, he was our because if I wasn't holding him, he was whining. Yeah, my sweet little baby. But I got pictures of him all around now, so that makes me happy and everything else makes me sad. But I've had him since I was 12, so. Also, he was, like, super old. He was super old. Yeah, I've, I've lived my, more of my life with him than without him, so. But, uh, yeah, rest in peace, little Lair. We love you. Um, okay, so move on from the depressing topic before I cry while recording. That would be <laughs> very uncool of you. Yeah, it's pretty unpleasant. Um, all right, so, Rach, you're up first, right? I don't know what that last word was supposed to be, but yes. I said right. Yeah, right. No, I said right. You can go back in the recording and listen to it. You said Rach up first. Exactly <laughs> I will. I'll look it up and you'll look foolish <laughs> because I said right. You didn't, but I am. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about the San Haven Sanatorium. And this was actually submitted to us who knows how long ago? Probably a year plus. Many eons ago um, <laughs> by a listener named Andrew Sear. Sire. Sire. I think. I hope I'm saying He's your last name right. He's corrected us multiple right. times and I feel like a jerk. Yeah, we've talked about you a bunch of times on this show. but Yeah, I believe it's Sire. And, you know, we could just like listen back on the episodes that we talked let's, about. Let's him, be real. He's probably long gone. <laughs> if you're still here, thank you for the submission. And also, I'm sorry if I said oh, your last name wrong. Speaking of which, real quick, we do have a couple people that left us reviews during our hiatus. That I we think were. it was just one. Well, whatever. Well, there were a lot of ratings that we didn't know were pouring in. So thank you all for that. Yes. Um, we do feel it made us feel much worse for leaving. So but it did make us feel good about restarting. Yes, so. that's true. So, yeah, we had a bunch of ratings, only a couple reviews. Um, we also got a few comments on our on the uh, post 
on our Facebook account. Yeah, by by good old uh um good long listeners, uh buddy buddy. Buddy. <laughs> Why did I say buddy? Bernard Howith and Bobby Nichols. Um can and I, I think I someone now? else. No, we had to shout out that person. Oh. So who is it? All right, hold on. Okay, so the person who gave us a review, actually, I'm going to say the last two, just in case we didn't say them. I'm pretty sure we did. Um, but it's on uh, iTunes Podcasts is Catherine Tat and Excuse My Juicy Belches. Which I love that name, by the way. Yeah. But and they both gave us five stars. So thank you. Thank you very much. And yeah, for anyone else who left a rating without a review, which, by the way, I've still never done for any of my favorite podcasts. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I haven't. Um, But we don't get to see who you are. um, So we would love to shout you out. So please reach out to us on any of the social media at SkepSkepPod. We're still active on all of them. Um, But yeah, reach out to us because we'd love to shout you out. We got a bunch of ratings while we were gone, but we there's no way for us to see who you are. Yep. Can I start now? Yes, please do. So anyways. I'm doing the San Haven Sanatorium, which was submitted by Andrew. I'm not going to say your last name again because you're just going to be more offended by how wrong I say it. So thanks, Andrew. Um, so in 1912, the San Haven Sanatorium was built in the Turtle Mountains of North Dakota. Uh, it was built on Chippewa Indian land, which we all know what that means, right? That's always like... <laughs> well, in case people have forgotten, Rachel is Native American. No, so. but that's not what I'm saying. I mean, like how people always say that, like the, their lands are haunted. Yeah, I know. But, but it just seems not. the opposite is xenophobic because they're from here. But yeah. Anywho, <laughs> people, I mean, the white people treated them very bad. And I'm saying that as in I'm not part of that, too. But anyway, so if anyone's lands have the right to be haunted, it's theirs. Anyways, it's true. Um, it was built at the time to house and isolate ter- 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 tuberculosis. Tuberculosis. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go. Tuberculosis. Okay, tuberculosis patients. Um, within a year of opening, it had twelve patients, and by 1922, so that was ten years later, it had 140. Um, so obviously, like tuberculosis died out as well as like the people that's pretty much what happened. But anyways, so because of that, there weren't, there was just like a big empty building that wasn't really being used anymore. So the nearby North Dakota institution for the feeble minded, um, AKA, by the way, just as a reminder, cause we've come across these, they used to have brutal names for oh, associations. Yeah, it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> like brutal, brutal names. Like, I mean, we can think of it easily because we have better words for it, but obviously they didn't. So I guess they were just doing the best they could. Well, I think they also were just like, I mean, think about this. Like, there's no like, Google, you can't Google the place. Yeah. So you right. have to be very descriptive in your name, which often but came even off then, as brutal. feeble minded to me doesn't sound like I would get what you're talking about. Well, quickly. I mean, if you were trying to dump off someone that you're like, this person's feeble minded as hell, like maybe. I don't know. Oh, this. I don't know. I don't want to go there. OK, so obviously it was a place that treated the mentally ill. Um they started to send their patients to the sanatorium. So before, when they had the tuberculosis patients, it got up to 140. Uh, the number quickly went up to 1,300. So as you can guess, it wasn't like nice anymore. So it went. There was like 100, it, from 140 patients to 1,300. In how quick, though? Um, it did not say. It just said whenever the. That's not helpful. I know, but still, I'm just saying, like, I, it's not a time to me because 140 was the tuberculosis, pa- tuberculosis, 
Mm. I get you. But then once they started with the <sighs> feeble minded crap. Yes. These were the ones if they're turned. So like clearly that place was not built to house all these people. So by 1973, the entire place was just a mental institution. Like it was taken over by the institution because clearly there was no more of those patients. Um, there were only 400 employees there at the time. So 400 employees, 1300 patients. Not going to end well. It's not. That's actually a lot more employees than I would have expected, though. You no, know, they said there was a lot of that they didn't get the care that they needed because there just wasn't enough staff to help with the people. Um, also, uh, there was, of course, a huge overcrowding issue, which just every time I think of overcrowding in a place like that, it's like, how gross do you think that was? Like how unsanitary? Oh, super gross. There's there's a lot of like um, old accounts of places like that, where it was, I mean, it was as gross as you could possibly imagine a place to be. Yeah. So the whole overcrowding thing is just yucky. Also, I it couldn't have been comfortable. I highly doubt there was enough beds for everyone. Well, also, I just think like. It gets to the point where comfort isn't even one of the goals, right? Like, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you you can overcome really bad circumstances if like that's one of your goals is to be decent to people. But like they, they weren't right. No. Yeah. They didn't care. Yeah. Well, and especially at the time, like. As we know, in most of these mental institutions, people weren't nobody cared about these people like they weren't. Yeah. They were left there to die. There's a product, essentially. Well, and yeah. there was no like. Good ways to help them and there was either don't help them at all and leave them here or help them and it's bad that was pretty much all there was so not only is there the overcrowding issue and the lack of care just because they didn't have enough people but also nobody really cared anyways uh and of course it wouldn't be a mental institution in the 70s if they weren't also doing a bunch of sketchy practices that nobody liked that was even considered controversial then which was like electroshock therapy lobotomies all the cute stuff that everybody liked so much. Um, the building also had underground tunnels that the workers used to transport dead bodies to a crematorium, which like, if you're going to find a creepy place anywhere, it's that. Um, by 1992, the sanatorium officially closed and has been abandoned ever since then. Uh, the sanatorium is a place. 1982, you said? 92. 90. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was literally the year after I was born open for a really long time. Uh, so since then, the sanatorium has been a site for many satanic rituals because of course it has. Uh, and then, so there's been a lot of people going in and out of this place, investigating kids, just like checking it out. Our favorite douchebagans went and did a whole episode on it. I'm sad to report that some of the information I got on this was from that website. Um, I double-checked it on a different website to make sure what they were saying actually happened, but it it was true. It, I mean, does it make you feel better that uh, there's no chance he wrote any of it? Because I'm pretty sure he's illiterate. Oh, yeah. There's okay. no way. Good. Have you heard that man try to pronounce things? It's worse than me. I do remember him down in that tunnel, though. It's a good episode if you want to check it out. I all of his episodes blur to me. I don't have there's no specific ones. They're a blur of high quality. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh, if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. So um, some of the investigators that have gone there have claimed to be attacked by the spirits. One specifically, she reported um, having three distinct scratches across her chest. Also, in 2001, a 17 year old. Uh, who was exploring the abandoned building, fell 40 feet down the elevator shaft to his death. So, yeah. 
That that's it. That's a sanatorium. Huh. I thought there was. I, I may forget what uh which san- they all run together. Yeah, it's just a bunch of the same thing. Because there's like Waverly Hills and like a bunch of the really famous ones. Um. Yeah. But if you're from the Dakotas, like Andrew, I think said he was. That's why this. That's why he submitted this one because mm-hmm. I think it's local to him. Uh, go check it out. Let us know how that maybe goes. maybe like don't go inside though yeah go inside well don't go near the elevator shaft just go well no you need to the dude fell 40 feet down and died well don't die but i mean you have to check it out i would not go inside you it. must Let's, check it out so we've talked about of course we have because this is what this show is about we've talked about our own personal feelings about spirits and um angry spirits or spirits in general and also specifically we've talked about like our ideas on spirits being attached to places uh, which we both kind of said we're not so sure about that. And I basically said I prescribed the idea of ghosts and spirits, things like that. I'm just not sure if it's what we think it is. If there is places where Wait, evil, let me rephrase that real quick. I think it's like we don't think everybody that's had a ghost experience could be experiencing nothing. Well, No, that's not what I'm saying either, though. I'm saying like I don't uh, I, like the way Zach Bagan says like, could it be that this one civil war guy is haunting this specific place? Like the likelihood of it actually being people who have actually died in or around that area may or may not be true. I'm just saying like, I know there's something, I'm just not sure if it's actually ghosts or if it's. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What it is, but I'm not even just saying the whole, like there's people who make it up or there's people who where it's true or the people who are something else. Like, I just mean, I don't know if what we've decided ghosts and spirits are is actually, actually it's very likely that we're wrong because yeah. we made it up. Um, but anyways, if there is a place where evil spirits or angry spirits hang out and want to hurt people, it's these kind of places. In yeah. my, in my opinion. Well, I mean, it does, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm same as you in the sense of like, or what I was going to say is like, I, I just don't think that there all this could be nothing. But I just like you said, like, I think we are looking for a pattern that just may not be there. Um, or we could just be totally off and totally there, there could off, be yeah. a pattern. We're just not seeing it because we're right. looking for something else. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, and especially like, you know, when it comes to religious or even scientific, like anytime you approach these things with a preconceived notion, you're probably going to be wrong. But yep. yeah, um, I don't know. It's uh I mean, these places, it's also the question, like, you know, are these places just more investigated than like an average place? Right. Which which is right. um, And actually a little bit of what I'm going to talk about goes into that thought. But well, or like the idea that even if it's not about what actually happened there, just the fact that so many people died there. Right. um, From like a and again, like. Maybe the concept of energy is something that like yeah. we focus on too much, but but I mean there's probably something to be said about that place just having a lot yeah. of death. Because I know? mean, there's the idea of like a lot of people were treated badly there, but there's also just the idea of like almost everyone who went inside didn't make it out alive. So well, again, if you want to talk about like just if it is tied to like raw human emotion or even like lost people who don't know anything but where they are, that's the place, you know. Well, yeah, and and again, if we're gonna go with the whole idea that of what we've decided it is like if there are spirits that can't let go because they're angry i would assume it's those yeah exactly um but yeah i don't know uh i'm sure the place is creepy also i think another aspect to it is just the places are creepy yeah they're old abandoned buildings <laughs> right so like you're probably gonna 
be more clued into something than like, you know, at a Walmart, maybe. Well, yeah, right. You're specifically going to that place looking for this. And there's old wiring and there's like all kinds of stuff. There's and there's gonna be rats and animals and animals is a big one. Yeah. Yeah. All kinds big of stuff abandoned like that. buildings have a ton of animals and there's a lot of them like, you know, you can have winged ones and ones on the ground. Well, and also they're really good at avoiding you so that even if they're making noise, like that doesn't mean they're going to be seen. Exactly. So you're going to hear it, but you're not going to see them, which is exactly what like ghosts are. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. But not according to Zach, they're all ghosts. Yeah. Could this be? I just saw in, in part of the synopsis, I couldn't find more of it, but it just said when it was talking about the episode, it was like, Zach almost suffered an injury almost, here. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> also, like, it could have just been a self inflicted. It could have just almost fallen I or something. Like, it, it was a self inflicted. Right. It was something him being stupid. It's uh, just hilarious. Too like, many Christmas. He's like, let me just, blind my, blindfold myself <laughs> and lean. Oh, no. I'm falling down the hall. Well, it's um, just like the grasping at straws of, like, let's make this as interesting as possible. Well, I mean, after what, seven to eight hundred episodes that they have? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, if, if only then I could just watch that until the day I die. Um, OK, cool. So that's it. Excellent. Um, we're going to take a break. I don't think for ads. <laughs> we don't, we don't nobody, have ads nobody, nobody wants our ad, nobody, their ads on yeah. our episodes. We're going to have to rebuild that um, that uh, relationship. Um, but anyway, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to be talking about the miracles of the Shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes in southern France. All right. All right. So what that is, is a uh, Catholic shrine um, to uh, Our Lady, which is uh, Mary, right? Yeah, right. Um, In southern France, a place called Lourdes. So anyway, um, first, I wanted to talk about like what constitutes a miracle to the Catholic Church. So this is not particular to Lourdes. This is just the Catholic Church. Um, I got this from Catholic.com, which seems pretty decent (laughs) of a source. Um, So the first aspect, there are five aspects to a miracle. First one is exclusively attributable attributable to divine power. So they say only God can be the cause of a miracle, which and I find this interesting. So I'm just going to mention it in the sense that like, I don't really know what this sentence means, but excludes any sort of occurrence that may have unknown created causes, whether it be hidden force of nature, a force of nature applied by man in an artificial way, or the forces of nature utilized by pure spirits acting with only their natural faculties. Such effects would be wonderful and marvelous, but not miracles. So it sounds like what? In other words, like forces of nature that is like enacted by man. In other words, like a cure made by man can't be deemed a miracle. But it's just such an odd way to put that, especially the whole forces of nature utilized by pure spirits like how would you say that's anything different from god i don't really understand but it's interesting so yeah that in other words has to be attributable to divine power we'll leave it at that this kind of seems like the definitive like here's how we define this it we don't define this we define it by excluding it from other things that look exactly the same which i don't understand we define it in a very undefinable way yes (laughs) um number two beyond the power of created nature so um It can be beyond created powers in three ways. First, a miracle may surpass created powers in the essence of the effect produced. The glorification of the resurrected body at the end of time is is an example of this. Um, And also another example would be like the sun moving east to west um, or moving east instead of west um, or standing still as recounted in Joshua 1013. 
So second, the miraculous effect may surpass creative powers with regard to the subject. So in other words, like uh, sight is not supernatural, but sight in a blind person would be right. Yeah, right. Life is not supernatural, but life in a corpse would be right. Um, The third way is the mode or mode or manner in which the miraculous effect is produced. In other words, if a priest demands a broken bone be healed and it happens quickly rather than over time, right? Like a broken bone healing over time is normal, but to happen immediately yeah, is a different right. mode, right? Same with uh, rain is very natural, but rain from a blue sky at the behest of a person is a miracle, right? So um, that makes sense to me. So again, aspect number two, beyond the power of created nature. Uh, aspect number three, beyond the order of created nature. So um, these... Uh, It says, so far, a miracle has been shown to be solely the work of God beyond all created powers, but the creation of the world and the soul are effects attributed attributed to God, right? So are these divine acts considered miracles? No, uh, because he made it a part of um, the order that he created, right? So in other words, like like something that although is attributed to God and they attribute it to him as a miracle producer, if it's like the normal for him, then it's not a miracle. Okay. Okay. Aspect number four is extraordinary. So, um, simply like saying I have a soul, that's a miracle. No, cause it's extra, it has to be something out of the it's ordinary. ordinary. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and then la- the last one is sensible. So, um, it just has to follow some form of, uh, ability to be sensed. Right. It can't be like, I felt, despair and doom and now yeah. i do not right um, it's something you can like tangible yeah yeah tangible exactly um and then so yeah the last one is sensible so again top to bottom so it has to be exclusively attributable to divine power beyond the power of created nature beyond the order of created nature extraordinary and sensible right okay so then how this relates to the shrine so um first let's talk about the just the history of the shrine so the shrine of our lady of lourdes in southern france is the most visited pilgrimage site in the world okay oh wow i think that i think that means in catholicism or even christianity because i would assume mecca is above it but i didn't cross reference this so this this part comes from the our lady of flores like site like about the like from the actual site but they just said that like i said i would have to assume i'll i'll dig it up at some point but um yeah i think mecca probably would beat it yeah um but principally uh the reason for these pil- pilgrimages is because of the healing properties of the waters of the spring that appeared during the apparitions of the blessed virgin mary to a poor 14 year old girl bernadette subaru which i believe is how i'm saying that subiru maybe i don't know um i like subaru <laughs> i like subaru too i'm <laughs> uh, just <laughs> Yeah. Um, So anyway, the first apparition occurred um, in February 11th of 1858. Mm, I'm going to need you to rephrase that. Why? You said in February 11th. That that makes no sense. I don't like it. The first apparition occurred February 11th, 1858. How about that? Okay. There were 18 in all, and the last took place in July 16th of 1858. You did it again. In July. Why do you keep doing this? It's weird. It's not even written that way. I'm just saying it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the last took place July 16th, the same year. OK, Bernadette often fell into an ecstasy, ecstasy during these apparitions, which was witnessed by hundreds who attended the later visions. But no one else saw what Bernadette saw. OK, so it was like a internalized vision. Um, the mysterious. That that feels like it. Yes, okay. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. OK, you, you can you can finish the thought. It but. just if what number is that? It has to be tangible. It was. 
<laughs> yeah, no, this one isn't deemed a miracle, weirdly. So, oh, yeah. oh, well, I mean, it yeah, makes no, sense no, We're then. not there yet. It we're com- not there. Okay, okay. Yeah, so the mysterious vision of uh, Bernadette saw in the hollow of the rock. Uh, Massa Biele. Okay, there's a lot of French. I'm not good at French. I'm not good at anything other than English partially. So my apologies. Uh, but where she and friends had gone to gather firewood, uh, she saw a young and beautiful lady. Uh, quote, lovelier than I had ever seen. She described the lady as clothed in white with a blue ribbon sash and a rosary hanging from her right arm. Now and then the apparition spoke to Bernadette. So one day the lady told the girl to drink. Now, here's where it does get into miracle okay. territory. OK, um, now, again, this is about this is just the setting up of the shrine. This, these aren't the miracles we're talking about. Oh, OK. This is just the beginning okay. of the shrine. Um so one day the lady told the girl to drink of a mysterious fountain within the grotto itself. Right. So so in other words, and you can please Google images of this, but it's essentially like there's a cave in the wall. Yeah. OK. And then there's like it's a rock cave. And then there's like this grotto. Uh, and that's where they've built a statue. That's what you're going to see. But at the time okay. it was just a grotto. Yeah. OK. A dry grotto, which is worth mentioning. So uh, the lady told the girl to drink of a mysterious fountain within the grotto, which again was dry. Right. The existence of which was unknown and which, which there was no sign. But Bernadette scratched at the ground until a spring immediately bubbled up and gushed forth. OK. OK. On another occasion, the apparition bade. By the way, this is very well documented, like outside of the church. This is historically documented. Um, on another occasion, occasion, the apparition bade Bernadette to go and tell the priest that she wished a chapel be built on the spot and processions to be made on the on the grotto. Right. And make it holy ground. Yeah. But at first, the clergy was like, what? No. Um, but then they said. Uh, he would not believe it unless the apparition gave Bernadette her name, the name of the apparition. Right. Uh huh. So in the next apparition, Bernadette reported that the lady told her, I am, quote, I am the Immaculate Conception. So the girl was unfamiliar with the term. Um, the Pope had declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception uh, in 1854, which is four years after Bernadette's visions. So the, the term did not exist. Right. Yeah, like right. we know it now. Mm-hmm. Um in 1862. So the bishop of the diocese declared the faithful, uh, quote, justified in believing in the reality of the apparition of Our Lady. OK, yeah, that's interesting. because it's a 14 year old uneducated girl coming up with that term, which is interesting. Um, a basilica was built upon the rock of Mazabiel, but essentially the, the grotto. Um, yeah. And by a parish priest in 1873. Um, and then the great. Uh, or sorry, in 1873, the great national French pilgrimages were inaugurated. So they started right three years later. The basilica was consecrated and the statue was solemnly solemnly crowned. And in 1883, the foundation stone of another church was laid as the first was no longer large enough. Um, it was built at the foot of the basilica and was consecrated in 1901. OK, so like that's the beginning of the shrine. Yeah. Here's where the miracles began. OK. Um is with the formation of the shrine. Um, so like and we'll we'll talk a little bit later about just a lot of the early miracles, but it was like hundreds of pilgrim people were like, oh, my foot was hurting and now it's all yeah, better. Of course right? they were. Yeah. yeah. So but the way everyone treats a shrine are treated a shrine like that. Exactly. Back then. Yeah. And like I said, we'll talk a little bit more in specifics about those early cases. But in general, so the way you can think about it is thousands of people started claiming these things right but but the catholic church back to what i started with like they weren't deeming these miracles yeah okay they were looking into them but they weren't deeming the miracles so um over time and i'm talking about like modern times uh they created a panel of medical experts to determine if something was actually a miracle or not okay so then here's another article from bbc 
uh, written in February of 2014. So there's going to be some things that I have to update for today. But a Belfast doctor named Michael Morin uh, began volunteering in Lourdes uh, 17 years ago from 2014. So uh, back in the 90s. And now he's part of a small select team that evaluates miracles at the Catholic uh, religious shrine in France. So sorry, but from a timeline perspective, what I did was I, sh- I went over the beginning of the shrine, right? And then you like shot way ahead. Well, I'm going from modern back again. Okay. Okay. Um, because uh, what I want to talk about was the miracles, but it's just it, none of it would have made sense without knowing about the shrine. Okay. So anyway, um, the panel is made up about four of about 40 people from around the world who come from different medical specialties, backgrounds, and levels of training. Their role is to decide whether or not cures that people claim to have had at Lourdes are explicable medically. Uh, quote, it's very much a scientific committee, so we are not the people who can say the word miracle. That's something for the church to comment on. So in other words, they're just they're just there out, to do facts, right? Rolling out. The yeah. Mir- yeah. Um, and uh, quote, I think the important thing is that members of the committee have to set whatever their beliefs are aside, be they pro or con Lord is, um, as a place to go uh, or a place of miracles or a place of healing. They have to set it aside. Quote, the committee is really convened um, as a group of professional people who sit with the best medical evidence and can even request more medical evidence to substantiate uh, what has been claimed by the person. So um, if anyone has seen the new Netflix show Down to Earth with Zac Efron, right, Um, he visits and talks to somebody on this panel and he shows him a couple of the cases that I'm actually going to talk about. But like these files are four to five inches thick. Right. Wow. and we're going to talk about some of the criteria they go through. But I mean, they literally like have. If they if they're missing something, they can't deem it a miracle. So they have to have every bit. of like, Yeah. But yeah. So check that out. Not a great show. It, there are some <laughs> moments. Not a great show. I Don't haven't finished it. I like Zach Efron a lot. Um, but uh, yeah. So uh, but th- that part was cool. Um, you can also Google them. Uh, you can just Google any of these things I'm going to talk about. But pretty interesting. So. Uh, from a different article that I'm going to talk about later, but it was relevant here. Uh, it says that there were so many purported cures associated with the water in the grotto of Lourdes that the Catholic church decided to set up the medical bureau. Um, and this is the critical part. Uh, it's under the leadership of physicians and scientists alone. Right. So that was a part that wasn't in this article that I wanted to interject. Also, uh, it's, um, the, the stated objective of the Bureau is to render a judgment that a particular cure, cure was near instantaneous, efficacious throughout the remainder of life. Right. So this is what what like makes it, it, it won't so come back. Long. Yeah. yeah. And in all other ways, scientifically inexplicable. And the Bureau uh, is constituted of 20 physicians and scientists minimum. Right. 40 as of 2014. Hey, wait, hold on. I have a question, though, about the like lifetime thing. Hmm. What if you like broke your ankle you went and your ankle was fixed what if you broke your ankle again no so like it's not the way it works <laughs> okay yeah, it's I'm, all just good. Make, I'm just making sure no they do make they do make determinations while the person's still alive so okay but um it says its records are open to any physician or scientist who wants to make their own investigation or challenge to any particular case uh recognized as miraculous okay so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but a number of cases are currently and always under assessment because the committee uh, meets annually, but a decision due to these factors can take many years to reach. Um, and because of the need for, quote, because of the need for a length of time for the cure to fulfill the criteria that are quite strictly set by the church, we would discuss uh, cases year to year that don't really change very much. And we're just waiting for a certain time frame to be passed for us to comment further or request further examination or tests, he said. But since 1958, there have been 69 as of the article, 70 as of today, yeah. 2020, verified miracles or cures in Lourdes. OK, that's quite a few. That is a lot. And especially yeah. with the 
criteria said above, right? So those are the one, quote, those are the ones we have a, a absolutely certain medical evidence and we can stand over, Dr. Moran says. Quote, the most recent one was a lady with extremely high blood pressure, we'll talk about her in more in depth, who had a benign tumor on her adrenal gland that was secreting adrenaline and keeping her blood pressure very high and she felt suddenly well. Uh, quote, that's a characteristic that you suddenly feel something different has happened. Uh, she felt it when she was in the bath in Lourdes, and that was in the 1980s. And that was only just confirmed in 2011. Um, wow. Yeah. He Some said in-depth stuff. Yeah. He said the first cure was of a par- paralyzed arm, which regained function suddenly. Um, we'll talk a f- about a few from the old times and then also modern. Uh, And he said another quote, another classic example is a gentleman from Italy who had a tumor of the pelvis. And although you can see the deconstruction, this is the one that Zac Efron saw, by the way. So you can see the x-rays on the show. And I highly Uh recommend looking at it because it's very compelling. Um, But you can see the destruction of the pelvic bone on x-rays, which are available for the public to view in Lourdes. And the bone actually regrew both in the pelvis and the femur in an anatomically correct way that would be very hard to explain, he said. And you can see, yeah, you can see in the x-rays, it's totally decomposed, totally destructed. And then it like, it's reformed the way it should be, but it's not quite like perfect. I mean, it looks Uh like a literal, you know, healing miracle, right? So his name was Vittorio Michelli. He was a soldier in the Alpine Corps and spent a lengthy amount of time in the military hospital following an untreatable and inoperable diagnosis of sarcoma on his left hip. Physicians and surgeons tried every medical option available in 1962 to no avail. After an entire year in the hospital, uh, his hip was completely deteriorated, right, from not being moved. Even so, he chose to make the pilgrimage to, uh, to Lourdes with his diocese in 1963, so after that year. After bathing in the spring from his hip to foot in a cast, nothing notable happened immediately. However, um, he was required to return to the military hospital after the pilgrimage, at which point various x-rays and tests clearly showed a physical improvement in his hip. In fact, the reports claimed it was, quote, remarkable reconstruction of his hip. And in Thanksgiving, uh, McKelly returned to the Lourdes annually since 1963. Can you imagine being those doctors like after years of looking at that and being like, there's nothing we can do. And then all of a sudden I've got one. So, oh, snap. yeah, so we're going to talk about not not sp- him specifically, but but a doctor. So um, in that original BBC article I was talking about, uh, it kind of talks about like what's a proposed explanation, right? So is there a chance that some of those who visit Lourdes under the influence uh, are under the influence of a, quote, placebo effect, right? Um, And he says, quote, from the committee's point of view, what we're really doing is uh, what we currently can medically explain or not explain. So there's certainly things that have happened not in Lourdes that we can't explain also, he said. Um, So like whether it's placebo, whether it's something, some other biological mechanism, like he's acknowledging that it's not only in Lourdes. It's just that that's their job. right? Right. So, quote, our role is to really discuss things that happened there at a specific time that people really do believe was related to their spiritual experience. Right. That sounded unpleasant. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, for some, the fields of science and religion do not sit easily side by side. But he says, quote, I'm quite happy with both in the sense that I feel there's a role for both. Um, quote, I know not all scientists or medics would believe that, but I certainly have seen people with a lot of great spiritual relief from Lourdes. And quote, I myself have also had uh, an overwhelming experience that you can't really describe because it's such a peaceful place and it's a place where the sick are really put first and it strikes you that Belfast hospitals and hospitals around the world, if Belfast hospitals and hospitals around the world were like that, then the world would generally be a better place. So he's just saying like these two things coming together in this way is a beautiful thing to him, which I which I enjoyed. Right. So a little bit more specifics of a couple miracles, just because that's kind of the meat and potatoes of what we're talking about. Right. 
the 70th miracle was officially recognized February 12th, 2018. Um, it's a miracle uh, recognized by the Catholic Church again, only a couple of years ago. And it's an event involving a French nun, Sister Bernadette Morau. Um, she went on a pilgrimage to the Shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes in 2008. She had been suffering from spinal complications, which rendered her wheelchair bound and fully disabled since 1980. So 28 years. Mm -hmm. um, she had also been taking morphine to control the pain from this ailment. Right. When she visited the shrine, uh, she, quote, never asked for a miracle. Um, but after attending, she felt a, she says, quote, I felt a surge of well-being throughout my body, a relaxation, a warmth. I returned to my room and there was a voice that told me to, quote, take off my brace or take off your braces, um, end quote. And she said uh, she was 79 years old at the time she recalled this. Right. And she says, quote, surprise, I could move, she said, uh, noting that she instantaneously walked away from her wheelchair, her braces and her pain medi medications. Moreau's case was brought to the attention of the International Medical Committee of Lourdes, who extensively researched her recovery. They eventually found that the healing could not be scientifically explained. After healing is recognized by the Lourdes Committee, uh, the paperwork is then sent to the Diocese of Origin, so her home church, mm -hmm. um, where the local bishop has the final say. After the bishop's blessing, a healing can then finally be recognized that the church is a miracle. So, um, and this is actually, they, the Catholic Church attaches this to every single one, so I figured I'd say it once. But um, while there have been more than 7,000 miraculous recoveries attributed to the um, shrine, only 70 cases have been officially acknowledged by the Catholic Church. Right. So, yeah. Like we talked about, mm -hmm. right? Um, okay. So then the other one, number 69, uh, and we'll, we'll only go over a handful, but I figured these are the two most recent. So I thought I'd go over them. So that one happened in 2018, right? This one was July 22nd, 2013. So five years in between them, uh, quote, I have the joy of reporting to everyone, my healing, which just a few days ago was approved as a miracle by my Bishop, which is a beautiful thing said Mrs. Danila Castelli who experienced the miracle on May 4th, 1989, after visiting the baths in Lourdes. So quite a long time to yeah, be confirmed, right? Right. Uh, Castilli said in an interview posted July 18th that uh, on the Lourdes Sanctuary's YouTube channel, um, <laughs> she wants to, quote, thank Our Lady uh, for all the joy I've received, not just the joy of the healed body, which is also important because health um, is a gift of God and we must protect and ask for it. Uh, life is a gift, but the joy that our Lord has given me throughout my entire life, as long as I can remember. So end quote. So, you know, I just wanted to share like, you know, it's important to remember these are people. Yeah, of right? course. And like that 70 human beings had something that they, not only them, but like what they, an organization they determined to be like run by God. Uh -huh. said acknowledged. Like, acknowledged. Right. Like this is important. Like, I couldn't imagine something happening more important to a human being well it's really easy to talk from like the outside of right. who this has never happened to but imagine that happened being to you that well especially someone who lived with pain yes for however long 28 and all years, of a yeah. sudden because you walk you bathed in some water you're fixed now exactly. like that would be amazing yeah so well and then and, and we'll talk about some of the benefits the church gets from this but i mean i i think that like i said especially once we get to the critiques because some of them are fairly harsh which we'll talk about but like if you're that person, you know, this would be. Life changing. I mean, not only life changing, but like galvanizing. Right. Nothing yeah. could turn you away right. from that. Right. No, of course not. So um, life was fairly normal for Castelli until she suddenly real experienced in high school a high blood pressure at the age of 34. This is the one that he mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. Right. So at first, doctors could not determine the cause of her severe spikes in blood pressure. After an ultrasound in 1982, though, she had a hysterectomy and an ex annexed 
anexectomy to remove fibrous masses. Um, however, her condition did not approve, improve, and in November of 1982, surgeons removed part of her pancreas. It wasn't until Gosh. 1983 that doctors discovered a tumor near her bladder and uh, conducted several surgeries between then and 1988 to try and resolve the issue, all without success. She was planning on visiting the Mayo Clinic in the, in the United States in 1988 when she decided instead to go to Lourdes, um, which uh, fulfilled a lifelong desire. With her husband and an Iranian-born doctor, she made the trek and emerged from the sacred baths with, quote, an extraordinary, extraordinary feeling of well-being. Her husband uh, waited for her at the exit, and as soon as he saw her, he said, quote, Danella, I know now everything has passed. I know that everything's behind us. So, like, they knew just off the bat, right? You were right, he said, referring to her years-long desire to visit Lourdes. She reportedly, uh, she reported her alleged miraculous recovery cure um, to the uh, medical team, um, a short time after that trip, beginning a 23 year long process that culminated in the 2013 declaration by her bishop that it was a miracle. And before making uh, its findings that the event was miraculous, the Lourdes Medical Bureau met five separate times between 1989 and 2010 to discuss the case. Um, so Dr. Alessandro de Francis, uh, the head of the medical bureau, explained that in its final meeting in 2010, more than 100 doctors and nurses with one abstention uh, proved the cure as miraculous after a lengthy and passionate discussion. Hmm. Quote, this lady was judged, indeed certified, cured in a way unexplainable by current medical scientific knowledge, Dr. Francis said. OK, so then here's one of the like doctors that was involved in the case, right? Uh -huh. Dr. Carroll uh, was standing behind... Mary Bailey. Um, so I got this from Aletia.org, I guess. Um, I think it's French, but um, yeah. So Dr. Carroll standing behind Mary Bailey when uh, three pitchers of blessed water were poured over her abdomen and um, her apparent issue disappeared, right? So here's the story. So one of the most significant cases was the healing of Mary Be Bailey. I think I'm saying that right. Earlier you called her Mar Mary Belly. I called her Mary Belly? You did. It's Bailey. <laughs> um, it was her belly that was fixed, uh, but it's Mary Bailey. Um, so her case was witnessed by a Dr. Alexis Carroll and eventually brought about his conversion to the church. So oh. in 1902, a physician friend of Dr. Carroll invited him to take care of sick patients being transported on a train from Lyons to Lourdes. He was agnostic and he, but he consented to help out not only because of his friendship to the person asking, but also because of an interest in what natural causes might be allowing quick healings um, taking place at Lourdes. Okay. On the train, he accounted, uh, encountered Mary Bailey, who was suffering from acute tuberculosis peritonitis. Um, her abdomen was considerably distended with large, hard masses. Um, so she was only half conscious when he came across her. And Carol believed that she would pass away quickly after arriving in Lourdes, if not before. So she was in a really rough way, mm -hmm. right? Other physicians on the train agreed with his diagnosis. They were really worried about her. When the train arrived in Lourdes, she was taken to the grotto. Three pitchers of water were poured over her distended abdomen. After the first pour, she felt a searing pain. But after the second pour, it was lessened. And after the third pour, she experienced a pleasant sensation. Her stomach began to flatten and her pulse returned to normal. Carol was standing behind her, along with other physicians, taking notes when he wrote, quote, the enormously distended and very hard abdomen began to flatten and within 30 minutes it had completely disappeared. No discharge whatsoever was observed from the body. End quote. Marie then sat up in bed, had dinner without vomiting and got out of bed on her own and dressed herself the next day. She then boarded the train and riding on the hard benches arrived in lines still refresh. 
Uh, Carol was still interested in her psychological and physical condition and so asked that she be monitored by a psychiatrist and physician for four months. After that, Marie joined the Sisters of Charity to work with the sick and the poor uh, in a very strenuous life and died in 1937 at the age of 58, 30 years later. Right. So Carol said um, he had seen he acknowledged that he had seen something like a miracle. He still was skeptical agnostic, so he was not ready to give that up. Um, And he did not yet return to the Catholic faith, which he was as a child brought up in the Catholic Church. But um, he was worried that if his view of this miracle became public, it would ruin his career at the medical facility in Lyons. Understandably. Yep. Um, But the miracle of uh, Miss Bailey became so public in the news that they were seeking him out anyway. Um, And so reporters kept indicating that Carol did not think it was a miracle, which forced him to write a public reply stating that uh, he, he was sitting in the middle because one side made up of believers was jumping to miraculous conclusions. And the other side was totally and unjustifiably refusing to look at what looked to be Mm -hmm. miracles. Right. So as he feared him being brought into this did lead to his end of, to the end of his career at the medical facility in Lyons. But that was actually really good for him because it led to him going to the University of Chicago and then Rockefeller University. And in 1912, he received a Nobel Peace Prize for his work in vascular anastomosis. Um, So he's a Nobel Peace Prize winning doctor who is now backing a miracle. All of a sudden, my haters become my fans. (laughs) Exactly. So Carol returned to Lourdes many times on one occasion, witnessed a second miracle, which was the instantaneous cure of an 18 month old uh, boy's blindness. Despite these two miracles, Carol could still not bring himself to conclusively affirm the reality of miracles until 1942, when he announced that he did believe in God, the immortality of the soul and the teachings of the Catholic Church and was fully converted. Um. So a couple more or a few more miracles that are the biggest ones. Very quick notes um, before we get into kind of the skepticism. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these are the biggest ones. So the first documented miracle in Lourdes happened in 1858. Uh, she felt a sudden urge to travel to Lourdes in search of healing, even though it wasn't like widely known what was going on there. Uh, two years prior, she had fallen from a tree. Her name was Kathleen Latipi. Um, she had fallen from a tree and severely injured her right hand. Uh, the accident left two of her fingers completely paralyzed. She met Bernadette in the grotto and washed her hand in the small spring. And instantaneously, the paralysis in her fingers were gone. Louise Bureau-Boriet, um was the most is the most often quoted miracle uh, related to Lourdes. Uh, so, oh, Louis, Louis. Sorry, it's a dude. Uh, He was a gentleman (laughs) of 55 years old in 1858. He was rendered blind in his right eye from a mine explosion, which killed his brother, who was standing next to him. He claimed that he went to pray uh, to Our Lady of the Grotto. As soon as Bernadette scratched the soil at the dumping ground, uh, he washed his right eye in a very short amount of time, praying to the to Our Lady fervently. Um, after watching his vision return completely. And in 1862, the cure was deemed of supernatural, supernatural character. Uh, Blaisette Casanave, uh, again, another vision issue. So she had chronic conjunctivitis, right? So pink eye. Yeah. Uh, and her eyes were scaly and sore at all times. Her condition was labeled incurable when at the age of 51, she used water at Lourdes as a lotion on her eyes and immediately the scales fell from her eyelids and her vision was completely restored. Even the pain and inflammation she suffered was entirely gone. 
Henri Bousquet, I don't know, um, was 16 years old at the time of his cure, uh, suffering for over a year with a fever attributed to onset to the onset of tuberculosis. He developed a neck abscess that his doctor eventually lanced, but his condition only worsened. He begged his parents for a trip to Lourdes, and, but they refused. They couldn't afford it. So he asked a neighbor to bring some water to him. Once the neighbor returned, the family gathered. Um, as they applied to his dressings, which were soaked in the water from Lourdes. And after sleeping that night, he awoke to discover his ulcer had scarred over and his infection was entirely gone. The miracle was approved in 1862. Uh, Justin Buhort uh, was two years old when he was cured at Lourdes. He was a failure to thrive baby. Um, he was shortly uh, or shortly before his parents brought him to Lourdes. He also contracted tuberculosis and was dying from it. So he was in a really rough way. The mom carried him to the grotto, though uh, visiting the grotto as just like a lay person was banned at the time. So she carried him through like as people were like jeering her and threatening mm -hmm. her. Um, she put him in the in the thing and, and was carrying him back home. Uh, he was limp and, and like not responsive, but he made mm -hmm. a full recovery and even lived to attend St. Bernadette's canonization in 1933. So 30 years later. So he lived a full life. Serge Perrin. Um, Second to last, and then I have one more. Uh, at the age of 35, he had an odd neurological condition that affected his vision and left him unconscious at times. Uh, he went to a neurologic ho neurological hospital in 1964, and he continued to regress to the point of total blindness and recurring episodes of blacking out. He took the pilgrimage in 1969, uh, but returned without any healing whatsoever. He continued treatment, but was considered a total invalid by medical standards. Um, and due to his wife's prompting and faith, uh, he went back in 1970 only essentially to shut her up. Um, and after he received the anointing of the sick, he immediately felt a felt a physical sensation in his body and was able to see, though unclearly. Over time, he made a miraculous and complete recovery. Um, and then the last one is Jean-Pierre Belly. Boli, belly, I don't know. Uh, he d he was declared a total invalid at the age of nineteen of age of fifty one as well, and made a pilgrimage in nineteen eighty seven. Was uh, paralyzed uh, by multiple sclerosis um, and was in a medical condition that completely withstood any advancements in treatment since nineteen seventy two. Um, many who accompanied him to Lourdes believed that he would die before completing the trip. He even received the anointing of the sick when he was finally when he finally made it to the shrine. And afterwards, however, he he could immediately walk and has made sense and has since made an entire recovery. OK, so that's a lot. Yeah, it was a lot. Right. Um, so 70 confirmed cases. We just talked about like 10, but mm -hmm. they're very compelling. Right. Yeah. So one of the things uh, in 2006, Monsignor. Jacques Pierre, uh, who's a bishop of the thing, um, essentially made it easier for miracles to be confirmed because they were petering off so heavily. Mm. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like there were just it, like I said, it went from a ton of cases to and, and a bunch of confirmations to since 1978, there were two miracles. OK, um, but anyway, it uh, he made like three new categories, unexpected healings, confirmed healings, exceptional healings or whatever. And then essentially right after that, two came in five years instead okay. of, you know, yeah. 30. It's not that bad considering it still goes through the board. Like it's incredibly yeah. hard still, but it, it, it just made it a little bit different. But there are critics within the church saying that he was devaluing God's invention interventions in order to uh, counter fierce competition in France from evangelical and Pentecostal churches who also have miracle healings. Right. Uh -huh. um, and they said, you know, quote, is this the end of miracles at Lourdes? 
um, and stuff like that. So he, he defended it. He's saying, no, it's just that, you know, the the conditions with which they were working with were 300 years old at the time, yeah, you know, that's valid um, because the 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 miracle like umbrella what predated even the shrine. Right. Um, and so he was saying that, like, th- th- there's just more that you can document now. Like the big stack of papers uh-huh. means more than yeah. what those 300 year old. So I, I understand his point. I also understand the skepticism behind that as well. Yeah. same. Um, and also, I think both things can exist. I think that he could look at it and say, and, and he did say over the past 15 years, there were two that he thought was truly miraculous, but they didn't quite meet mm-hmm. the criteria. And so that's what motivated him, he said. And I think that that can exist while it also benefiting the church. Yeah. He, well, right? yeah, he can do he can do it for both reasons. Exactly. And yeah. I think that that's legitimate um there was another thing that uh talked about um as of 2006 only 67 cures have been authenticated right 70 now but of the 250 million people seeking them right so this represents a success rate of less than 0.00003 percent or one per 3.7 million people okay and of course not a single instance of these uh 67 miracle cures so this came from uh some writer uh who essentially, and and I will say this, is, is very just anti-religion, so it's pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, but they said that uh, none of them have ever included such things as spontaneous regeneration of a limb or an organ, uh, rejoining of a transected spinal cord, regeneration of destroyed brain tissue, repair of gross disfigurement or scarring, or indeed anything at all that could be truly regarded as without scientific explanation, although such cures could well be within the capability of a creator deity to raise the who's able to raise the dead. Right. I think that's harsh because the hip yeah. is a regeneration. Yeah. I think that's not true. I think that there are have been physical ailments that have been that have been passed, but it's worth saying, you know, that like, yeah, it is true in the, in the other sense that, you know, c- Catholic belief is God is so capable of X amount of things that, you know, why would it have to be somebody walking would be limited to the miracle, right? Yeah. Um, I, I get sense. it. It's still, I think it's a bit harsh considering the amount of evidence outside of this. Um, they also, the, the last came, last claimed authenticated cure was self-diagnosed arthritis, right? Um, oh, yeah. And what they were talking about, though, was uh, it's not quite that harsh, but again, written from the other lens because it's from a Catholic thing. But it said, uh, Anna San, Santaniello uh, visited the shrine in 1952. She reported a complete healing of a fatal disease she had since ty- since childhood, which was uh, rheumatic heart disease. Um, but apparently this was uh, the illness had taken the life of two of her siblings and her prognosis was dire. But this is where like some of the claims have been put that like she never was actually diagnosed. She just she, said she just said I must have it. Because have they it have it. My, yeah. yeah. Um, she was 42 years old and she, she had her miraculous and extraordinary healing. But you, a lot of people question that. OK, makes sense. Um, also, and and I get the skepticism here. The writer puts, by the way, if you want to get a cure but are too ill or can't afford to go all the way to Lourdes, fear not. A Lourdes cure can come to you in the form of a one liter bottle for only a hundred bucks. <laughs> uh, other miracle cures are available, but terms and conditions apply, right? Yeah, right. So I get it. Another thing is, um, so the canonization of Bernadette Subiru, the the first person into sainthood, yeah, uh, has been called into question because they de- the the Catholic Church declared her body as quote incorrupt, which they use uh, this quote unquote fact uh, as one of the reasons for canonization and have you know many times in history. Uh, it's based on testimonies following three exhumations of her body in 1909, 1919, 1919 and nineteen twenty five. 
Um, and they say that she was uh, incorrupt, right? Yeah. Protected by God. Her body is now displayed in a sealed air-conditioned crystal casket for the public to see in the Chapel of St. Gedard at the Sisters of Charity in Nevers. Uh, the wandering, wandering public can gaze on a flawless face and perfectly formed hands, the only actual flesh visible on a body otherwise clothed in a nun's habit, right? However, the church seems to have an unusual definition of incorruptible because the doctor who examined the body in 1919 wrote, quote, the body is practically mummified covered with <laughs> patches of mildew and quite a notable layer of salts, which appear to be calcium salts. The skin is disappearing in some places, um, but it is still present on most parts of the body. Nevertheless, visitors can still gaze wonderingly on the perfect face and hands and see for themselves just how well God looks after the bodies of his chosen saints. However, there's just one slight problem. That is not her face or her hands. They are wax effigies <laughs> made by a Parisian fashion mannequin designer named Pierre Iman. Uh-huh. Uh, Bernadette's blackened, mummified and mildewed face with its sunken eye sockets and protruding bones and skeletal Ooh. hands were considered too unpleasant for people to see because yeah. who would want to look at a rotting corpse? <laughs> well, um, and not just, hold on. It would also be like, hey, look at her perfect face. What? It's not. Yeah. The entire Lord is industry uh, is an elaborate hoax. Again, this is from the writer. Yeah. A money making scam intentionally designed to make money off of incurably sick people by selling them false hope, phony cures and fake miracles. It represents a depth of morality, moral depravity, rarely uh, equaled in the history of a depraved and corrupt church, according to that writer. Also, they <laughs> thought it was it was interesting. So this was written quite a while ago, uh, but they updated it so it was written in 2015 right they updated it in 2020 and said oh man it's about to be harsh the shrine is closed due to covid <laughs> which they find entertaining because it's a place of healing yeah so, right um, but you can't go there because you'll get covid if you yeah do. exactly so sorry i don't mean to laugh if anyone like legitimately i really don't mean to, it's just funny that the writer after five years was like hold up i gotta update this yeah, that's what i'm right. laughing at i'm not laughing at I understand why they close it due to COVID. That's smart. Um, I'm laughing that the writer just found so much. Uh, amusement. Yes. In that. in that. Yeah. And so then I found secondhand amusement anyway. So another one. And again, so the website here is debunking Christianity. So take it with a grain of salt. Right. But it's hard to find critiques of this without it linking to of the course. greater yeah. Catholic church, Christianity, et cetera. Right. Like, right. No one's just going to. Well, you're pretty much either. You're going to get polarizing sides. You're, yeah, you're going to get the ones who believe. Yeah, or and the ones who ones, really don't. And the ones who really don't are the ones who also just super don't believe in any of this, right? Yeah. Um, and sorry for the longer episode, but it, like as I went, it was just, I mean, it's 200 years of history, right? So um, it's a lot to go over. But anyway, uh, today, um, it, so they write, today is known that cancer can vanish and go into remission, which is true, right? So can, mm -hmm. cancer remissions relating to Lourdes are no more remarkable than the, remi than the remissions having nothing to do with religion at yeah. all. And in fact... It's actually more likely if you're looking at all of cancer for it to happen than in Lourdes. Yeah, of course. So in the medical literature, uh, spontaneous remissions, at least when cancers evolved, are extremely rare. Estimates range from one case in 60,000 or one to 100,000. Um, perhaps uh, and in an overall uh, uh, in an overview, um, like one patient in 3000 might experience a spontaneous remission. Right. But those numbers are far better than one in what I say, 3.7 million. Right. Yeah. True. Now again, and this is to the Catholic church's credit, that would be because they wait for full life remission. Uh -huh. Right. Um, and that's part of the argument in favor of the Catholic church. And again, they have 7,000 cases still being reviewed. Right. But it is worth noting, like, 
it's it's similar to the to the thought that um if you're looking for it you're gonna find some stuff right and we'll talk about that but anyway moreover the majority of oncologists believe that an unidentified biological mechanism is at work rather than a true miracle and current hypotheses favor alterations in the body's cellular immunological hormonal and genetic functioning over psychological mechanisms uh that that make these um Recoveries. This is from page four of Born to Believe, Andrew Newberg, MD, and Mark Robert Waldman, MD, in the Free Press in New York. It was a study. Um, the healings of Lourdes have made it in, into a sh- super shrine. So thus, it's hard to believe that the Catholic Mary is responsible for these healings um, for a couple of reasons. Again, this is from debunking Christianity. So I'm not a Catholic expert, right? But it undermines the Catholic teaching about D- Jesus and communion and the Pope being his spokesman because it kind of circumvents that whole uh-huh. piece. Uh, Mary never promised healings and Bernadette herself said the cures were nonsense of extreme, oh. of extreme significance is that what Bernadette said to Jesuit uh, Per Langlade in 1863, where he asked her if she had seen the blessed Virgin. Her reply was that she did not say she had seen the blessed Virgin, but had seen an apparition clearly she did not regard the alleged cures as miracles that showed Mary had appeared to her. Also worth noting when she was dying, she did not, go to Lourdes because she thought it would it was pointless. So <laughs> that's interesting. Uh, yeah. And the very last thing I do want to go over is from a, a source that is not nearly as polarized against uh, the church because it is a peer reviewed journal from the Oxford Journal uh, of History and Medicine, where they reviewed essentially the entire history of Lourdes. Right. And they said, quote, we studied 411 patients cured in 1909 through 1914 and thoroughly reviewed the 25 cures acknowledged between 1947 and 1976. No cure has been certified from 1976 through 2006. And the Lourdes phenomenon, extraordinary in many respects, still awaits scientific explanation. Lourdes concerns science as well as religion. They said, quote, the least that can be stated is that exposures to Lourdes and its representations, so Lourdes water, mental images, replicas of the grotto, etc., mm-hmm. in a context of prayer have induced exceptional, usually instantaneous, symptomatic, and at best physical cures of widely different diseases. Although what follows is regarded by some as a hackneyed concept, any and all scholars of Lourdes have come to agree with one of two equal, equally acceptable but seemingly conflicting and irreconcilable points of view on the core issue are that the Lourdes cures are a matter of divine inf- intervention or not. Faith is set against science. Uh, quote, after many mental twists and turns, we reach the same conclusions as Carol, which I talked about above the Nobel Peace Prize winning doctor, right? Some 80 to 100 years ago, quote, instead of being a simple place of miracles of interest only to the pious, Lourdes represents a considerable scientific interest. And quote, although uncommon, the miraculous cures are evidence of somatic and mental processes we do not know. Upping the ante, we dare write that understanding these processes could bring about new and effective therapeutic methods. The Lourdes Cures concern science as well as religion. So this comes from the Lourdes Medical Cures Revisited on, again, the Oxford Journal of History of Medicine or whatever. And you can find out ncbi.nlm.nih.gov, which is a place where you can look at peer-reviewed articles. So all that being said, I agree with the state, with the paper. That's why I put it at the end, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Something's happening. Yeah, something for sure. <laughs> Something's happened. Even if statistically it's not as common as something happening outside of there, the fact that you have a board of 40 people looking at this stuff, I, th- I find is a huge win for science. Yeah, definitely. I, think, I mean, I think it's great. Um, but something's happening. I have a hard time with this one because it's like, it's so centered in religion of like, right. Do you, 
because if you believe God performs miracles or in God in general, or if you don't completely like takes your opinion somewhere else, like it, because you can see all these things, but if you believe in that it's possible, then you could be like, oh, but if you don't believe it's possible, then you're going to try to find other answers. Um, so I think when religion, when it comes to religion with stuff like this, it's always kind of like, because it's like, depending on what side you're on of the, that situation, or even if you're not, if you don't consider yourself on a side, if you're in the middle or whatever, like you're going to lean towards one more when in like situations with like aliens or Bigfoot or whatever, it's a lot easier to be kind of impartial. You, you can write it outside of your religion. Yeah. If, well, if yeah. you want well, to. And, it, and it's much less personal. Yeah. When these yeah. kind of things can be. Some people be, don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> some people, right. Some people take Bigfoot them, very personally. But it's less likely. But yeah. I think you, you like this one becomes more personal because it's about your it does. religious I, beliefs. So I think that it really comes down to what they're saying here, right? In the sense that no matter what the cause we need to know what's happening. What's happen- yeah, something's because, happening. You know, and again, I think it comes down to a few things. One, it, one, it's God, one, it's biology, or one, it's the power of the human body to influence biology, right? Or a combination of all three, right? Which a lot of people would believe. And I think that my thing being, and I've always said this, so Rachel's heard this a lot, but I don't know if you, the listener, has. Like, when you break something down, like, whether or not you believe in God is a totally separate thing right like so i've always said like if you believe in god then like and and liken him to the carpenter right then whether or not you really understand the hammer like that he uses doesn't make a difference yeah if the carpenter exists or not yeah. right so i've always seen science as the hammer like understanding the hammer but whether or not you believe the hammer is wielded by a carpenter that's up to you like i don't care right um and so i think that this is really like that right in the sense that no matter if you believe it's god that's driving it something here is happening and there's got to be a way that it's happening, right? Yeah. And we can see the evidence of that thing that's happening. So whether or not you believe God is driving it or aliens or who the hell or Uncle Bert down the street, I don't care. Right. Something's going on. Well, like for me, it's like, okay, so I know that 70 compared to all these other million, like however many people have gone is small. But like, let's say 70 and then let's say they were wrong on 30, that's big. That's still that's yeah. huge. But that's still forty people whose bodies just got fixed somehow by some this way. water. Because I mean, like, yeah. there's a lot of things like like one thing he was talking about the whole like self diagnosed being the whole blind. Obviously, like the only person that can like you can tell if you're blind. Even when they do blind tests, the way they do it is by you telling them if you can see things. So like that one yeah, can always be of, like messed with. No, but I mean, like if you really wanted to pretend you had well, this right, miracle but the, or but whatever. That minor, like he didn't know the the cure existed. So like it would yeah, have the right. setup just no, doesn't him make sense. Specifically, but I mean, like in um, general, yeah. blindness is one of those that I think could be more tampered with uh, because there's no there's but like the, the hip. There's not x-rays of blindness. Yeah, I think yeah. the golden standard um, here is the hip, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, like so even one to me. Like oh, the enough. hip yeah. itself is like, hold on. We got to look at this. What is yeah. happening here that caused this to happen? Because that's insane. Well, and I think, and this is what I was saying was like the fact that there are 40 people doing this, like nowhere else do we have a dedicated panel who's as dedicated to the cause of looking at wild crap. Right. Yeah. With that amount of background and knowledge. I just think here. it's very interesting that there's this whole panel to decide what's a miracle and what's not, but there's no panel to be like, Hey, what's going on with this water? 
Well, I'm sure. Yeah, actually, you know I thought I mean? that like, I couldn't find it anywhere. That's what I'm saying. Like everyone's like, we'll decide if this is a miracle or not, but we're not going to go into like yeah. what's happening. I think, I'm I mean, sure the church doesn't. Well, I'm sure the church water. doesn't want them to like mess with. That's considered a sacred place. Yeah, I'm so sure obviously that that's part I can't. Of it, yeah. But it's just funny to me that it's like we'll decide if it is, but we're not. We're just going to like let like let um the Wizard of Oz stay behind the curtain. Well, I think like, I think that the the main thing being though, and I'm sure people have examined the water, right? Is that the water physically is whatever the place is physically whatever yeah it's this like they said like the the combination of it all somehow circumvents expectations another very interesting thing to me is the whole bernadette aspect of it like if she's the one that saw the apparition she's the one that found the place and then told him to bake the church she's the one that apparently said you know the i am the immaculate conception before that was even a term all those things and yet she's looking at it like this is fake yeah, I that. think, well, she was, I think she was just naturally, so, I mean, and again, like, she predated the panel and stuff, right? So, yeah. I think she just didn't take it at face value. She she had seen it labeled as hysteria. She saw people, you know, because, I mean, imagine, of the ones actually deemed miracles, Bernadette saw hundreds of people saying, oh, yeah, of I course. can, you know, like, I can poop again. Yay. Yeah. You know, like, and it just makes no sense. I mean, for instance, like there was, there's a ton of things where, and, and some of the stuff I cut out from the just kind of hateful bottom blog writer, right? It's like, um, one of the reasons for it, and I probably shouldn't have cut it out, but one of the reasons that she listed as why she's so skeptical is like her partner's mother, um, had them fund a trip for her to go. Cause she had like cancer and she just died a, yeah. few, a few months after like yeah, nothing, right. nothing happened. Right. So like, and I think that when you're surrounded by that, it would kind of coat the other ones in a different way. And I think for her again, like she was a part of the church. So like, I think she didn't want to make any claims that the church wasn't going to back. Right. Yeah. Cause that wasn't her place. Right. So I, I do see it. Uh, trust me. Like, I think it's funny that she was like, well, I'm dying. And if the Lord's going to save me, he's going to save me here. Yeah. It doesn't matter, you know, if I'm there. And I think that's great. She, she thought that way, but it is interesting that like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I do find her part interesting, but I also can see it from her point of view, right? Yeah, so coming from me, this shouldn't be surprising if you've been here for a while, but I actually find the most interesting part of all of this, the psychological aspect of it, um, because the idea that you could even close to heal yourself or help your own body because you believe something could work is extremely interesting to well, me. But that's Yeah, and that's so widespread, though, right? Like, people talk about, like, the, the will to live and how when patients lose the will to live, their body totally follows. Well, and also the whole, like how if you're experiencing severe amounts of pain, your body will be like, no, no, you're fine because literally you can't handle it. And you're like, Oh, okay. I don't feel that. Yeah. Like it's insane. The thing that your brain, like what your brain can do. So imagine you telling your brain, this is what's going to fix me. Right. And well, and that's the thing is just like, if, if your brain is so capable of, let's say even reconstructing your hip, right. Yeah. Which technically no, i'm not saying your brain but your body is clearly capable of it at least once because it made it yeah right true. so my point being well, like, the whole idea of like stem cells and stuff yeah like if you can trigger that process just by i mean you know thinking about it hard <laughs> yeah like in, <laughs> fic- in fiction be- right the power of love. In it? yeah the power of love right yeah um that's the part that really gets to me in the sense of like what like i said whether or not you think it's god it yeah. happened right right and again like you know, yeah, I mean, so it's got to be stem cells internal to your body. Like, no one went in there and inserted a hip. Yeah, of course. So it had to be that. And last like, I checked, but, we're not lizards. So. But what, what, yeah, what caused that to happen? 
your brain saying, let's just get it done. But to some people, <laughs> that's not true. Right. To some people, that's that's God and that's a miracle. So it's just very interesting. Yeah. What the human brain can do. Well, it's just like. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, well, in the human body, right? Because it's, yeah, it's of course, you know, obviously. together. But yeah, it is interesting. I think these things are like I said, I don't think any bad could come of. 40 very professional people looking at these cases, right? Like uh, I'm no. super interested in, in that, but, uh, but yeah, I think this was, like I said, as I, as I got into it, I thought it was very compelling, um, and very interesting. And again, like it, it's like what I, what I hope the government is doing where they have a bunch of eyes turned to the sky, right? It's the same thing is that these are they're a bunch of specialists that, yeah, yeah, that are devoted to this in one way or another. I think it's very interesting. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, like I said, I, I really do recommend you check out that uh, that art or that journal um, article. I just didn't I didn't want to go through it uh, entirely because it's, it's very dense and boring. I've read too many of those through college to want to put you all through that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's very interesting um, and probably one of the most compelling things we've ever talked about i yeah it's from a pure evidence standpoint. i can't i can't be in like i can be in the middle of like where it's coming from and all those kind of things but like you can't deny that evidence, something yeah. is happening yeah i can yeah i think well gun to my head right i think it's power of the human mind power of the human body yeah same i mean placebo effect is like you don't think wild. that the water could have any kind of like healing abilities no i think i think that they think it does and that's what matters huh okay well, I mean, because think about like like he said with the, uh, um, the the doctor with the uh, growths in her stomach, like nothing was expelled and nothing entered the body. It would be literally impossible for that water to have done it. It's the thought of the water. Yeah, but we don't. There's all kinds of stuff out in nature that can do all kinds of different stuff to us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, say, I'm not saying that one's likely. I'm just saying that. That is in You the, think it's an element? I think it's thrown in there with all the other... I mean, it is odd that... Possibilities. Via, I mean, just back to the original thing, like, she was just told and could find a spring. Well, yeah, and why that spring? That, it, that part that is weird, interesting. In that cave. But again, I think, like, the, the... But the the power in that story leads to you giving that water power, though. You know what I no, mean? No, yeah, I get that, too. I'm just saying... It is interesting. Yeah. But yeah, this is one of the better stories I've come across. So I thought that was interesting. It was very good. Okay. It was, yeah. It was long. It was super long. Yeah, but it was good. Um, all right. We will see y'all next week. And by next week, it's like months from now. But yeah. Yeah, but to you next week. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. So today I'm talking about the Sandhaven Sanatorium. San, right? Huh? San, S-A-N? Why are you making me rethink everything? I'm pretty sure it's Sandhaven. I'm pretty sure it's not. What? God damn it. All right, cut that out. Cut! As we know, in most of these mental institutions... Uh, these people weren't cared about. Like they God. weren't. You can't overemphasize when they don't know why you're overemphasizing. I know. It just, just makes my you sound own weird. frustration. Okay, ready? Yes. Me. Help me with my, my frustration. frustration. <laughs> ready? So yeah, and, and they said in order that the submission of our faith should be in accordance with reason, it was God's will that it should be linked to the internal assistance of the Holy Spirit 
uh, ah, cut all that. Forget it. Cut. <laughs> forget, forget that. Okay, ready? <laughs> you good? Action. <laughs>